This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. I just texted Russell today. Shouts to all the moms and dads out there. I don't know how you do it, but I am feeling very stressed and worn today. It's my first, like, official work day back. Uh. And, uh... Yeah, I text Russell. I was like, I can't believe there's people that like have a kid right now. Like they're trying to like do stuff and they've got like a kid. <laughs> they've got like yeah. a full human that they're responsible for. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Cool. chair i like hit the little lever this like lever oh, i've been yeah. sitting at russell's desk you know and he's got a new office chair and it did the little mm. like shrunk me down you ready to get into this well we gotta talk about the patreon the patreon it's a big day we have a patreon and and 250 people know about it at least <laughs> yeah we hit 250 today very exciting for your girls Thank you so much to everybody who has subscribed. If you've been thinking about it, now's a great time to hop over there. And let me tell you why. Let let me tell you why now is the time. Okay. Because I just got an email from the student loan company. (laughs) (laughs) And I've forgotten about those for a solid two years about. And it's time. (laughs) The time has come. So if you're thinking about it and you're worried about me, same. You should sign up. <laughs> Help Mogab pay off her student loans by signing up for our Patreon. You get so much bonus content over there. We are putting out like two mini creeps a month or so, two to three mini creeps a month, which are on all sorts of fun stuff. Like this week's mini creep was on Contest Gone Wrong. Ooh, we have star charts and the McDonald's coffee case, which is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. And then we've also got like seven or eight. We've got eight full length bonus episodes. If you go over to patreon.com slash true crime creepers, you can read all about the different levels that we have, all the different perks you get, whatever. Sign up for the Patreon. Yeah, come on. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Come on. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Yeah. You won't regret it. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. 
A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. This story, disclaimer, this story Uh. takes place in England. And as much as I want to consider myself an Anglophile, the truth is I have really not spent more than a week in that country. So I reached out to a listener in the UK and got some information about how stuff works there. But if I get something wrong, I just sincerely apologize to the whole of the United Kingdom. I'm sorry, what is the number one piece of information you got from them? What the difference is between UK, London, England, Great Britain? Like, did we clarify all of that? We didn't even get there. I mean, I know. Do I sound like an idiot? Like, are those, those are all not the same thing, but they're like the same thing. Great Britain and England are the same. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. UK, London. Like London well, London's is in a the city in England. I know, but like, and the UK is like a, a little collection of countries. A nice which collection. Countries? Oh God, Wales, England, Ireland, Scotland. Scotland's not. I don't know. I've offended everybody. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, but I'm not trying to be offensive. Like I really don't know, and I would love a quick. Brief explain overview. it to us like we're five, please. Just explain it to us like we're yeah. five, and then also include Slide how to those format DMs. the addresses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, a huge thank you to my friend Carla who recommended this case to me. There is a short documentary covering it, aptly named "Mummy's Little Murderer." Oh no, I'm I'm already out. <laughs> And also, big thanks to Rachel Vale for being my source on all things British. All right. Thanks, Rachel. Slide in those DMs. I'm, I'm truly <laughs> curious. Not offend. I'm not trying to be offensive. I really, really would like to know. Yes. All right. Emily Longley was born in London on February 22nd, 1994, to two very loving and terrified new parents 
Mark and Caroline. As Emily grew up, her parents noticed that her health wasn't great. They were told that London was not a great environment for her. And so when Emily was 10, they packed up the whole family, which by that time included Emily's younger sister, Hannah, and they moved halfway across the world to New Zealand, hoping that it would be better there. And it was for a while. Emily was a really fun kid. She had a great sense of humor, and sometimes she would find something so funny, she'd just start giggling, and then she'd just turn into hysterics, and then she would forget what she was even laughing about in the first place. Her father, Mark, said she had this really wonderful, warm, and loving side to her. Like, she would just come up to him and wrap her arms around him and just give him a big hug. When Emily was 12, her parents got a divorce, and Emily seemed to have a really tough time with it. She started pushing boundaries, finding new and more extreme ways to rebel. When she was 15, she started hanging out with an older crowd, old enough that they could get her into bars, and she started partying a lot and getting into trouble. She sounds like one of my friends who I will not put on blast, who, when she was 15- I already know who you're talking about. (laughs) Started going to the French Quarter in New Orleans instead of going to school and uh, got shipped off to boarding school. And that's kind of what happened with Emily. Emily also had goals in her life. She wanted to be successful. She wanted to prove that she was more than just a pretty face. And she was a really gorgeous girl. She decided that it would be best for her to get away from the crowd she was hanging around with in New Zealand and go back to England to study for her A-levels. Are you ready for a bit of schooling about the British educational system? Yes, please, Miss Williams. All right. Big thanks to Rachel for giving me a mini course on this and apologize if I get anything wrong because it is very different from how we do things here in the States. Basically, they go to what we call high school until age 16 to get their GCSEs. These are your OWLs in Harry Potter, your owls. (laughs) Yes, I'm following (laughs) actually. Great. At 16, they have options. They can go to trade school until they're 18 and then enter the workforce. Or if they plan to go to university, they can get their A-levels, which are like the newts from Harry Potter. You know, the N- Yes. I also love that they call it university. <laughs> I know. It's Uni. Like so, yeah. Yes. They can get their A-levels either at the secondary school they were at, if it's offered there, or at a sixth form college, which is basically what I would equate to like a college prep school. So college there is like junior and senior year of high school here, basically. Mm-hmm. It's all free to attend, but Rachel said there is some controversy over a 120-pound enrollment fee they sometimes have to pay, which, uh, considering our student debt crisis here, I want to cry that (laughs) I told her that controversial enrollment fee wouldn't even cover the books for, like, one course. (laughs) Please, I will pay. (laughs) (laughs) The $120. That makes me ill. I am ill. (laughs) Over here. I'm ill. I know. Ugh. Emily was on the track for university, and so she decided to go back to England to attend a sixth form college there for her A-levels with a focus on business. When Rachel and I were talking about this, I literally felt like I was speaking a foreign language, like GCSEs and A-levels, and I don't know what any of these things are. But I think that's the basic gist of how it works. I wanted to explain that because when I first looked into this, I was thinking of Emily as a college student. When really, we need to remember that she is still in in what we would call high school. She's basically a junior in high school. The family was back in England for Christmas to visit family, and Emily ended up tagging along with some friends of hers who were going to a college called Brockenhurst. And remember, college is like 
junior and senior year of high school for us. Right. She decided she liked it at Brockenhurst. She managed to get an interview while she was there, and she got into the school. Her dad, Mark, said that that was just very typical of Emily, that even from a young age, once she set her mind on something, you just buckled up, went along for the ride, and hoped she came out the other end okay. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Love that for her. (laughs) Yeah. So at 16 years old, she moved to England, and she moved in with her paternal grandparents, who were still living there in a quiet retirement area of a coastal resort town called Bournemouth. It's on the south coast of England. It's a really popular tourist spot, especially for bachelor and bachelorette parties, which they call stag and hen parties. Love that. Yeah, so it's got a really booming nightlife. Emily's parents worried that she might get caught up in the party scene there, but she seemed to do really well. She started classes at Brockenhurst in September of 2010, studying business, And she got a job she loved at Topshop, which we don't really have a lot of here in the U.S., if any, but it's a super popular trending clothing store in the U.K., and it was also really popular in Singapore when I lived there, so that's how I learned about it. So she's got this job she loves, she's doing really well in her classes, but she also soon got pulled into Bournemouth's nightlife, and she started going out to bars regularly with this group of girlfriends. In December of 2010, Emily was introduced to a guy named Elliot Turner. He was a few years older than her. She was 16. He was 19. But they hit it off right away. She found him funny. She liked how extroverted he was. He was very well known around the bars and clubs in Bournemouth. He seemed to really just know the right kind of people. Uh, I don't know. I don't trust that one bit. (laughs) Do not. Elliot Turner had lived what one could only describe as a life of pandered privilege. His father, Lee Turner, ran the family's successful jewelry business that he'd inherited from his father. I just heard this story two weeks ago. (laughs) Is the Tinder swindler? No, the Tinder swindler had no money. (laughs) And he did not live a life of pandered privilege. Where is the money? Where is the money? I sent a wire transfer. <laughs> We've both been watching Inventing Anna. <laughs> Why are you dressed like that? You look poor. You look poor. I can't do the voice. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you dressed like that? You look poor. <laughs> All right. Uh, and his mother, Anita, was high up in the pharmaceuticals industry. They'd put Elliot in private school, which they actually call public schools in England, which blows my mind. That's so confusing I know. for me. I know, me too. But it cost around $12,000 a year to send him to, to this private school. She said that's about average. And Elliot's friends said that he was always carrying around really large sums of money. Like, at a minimum, this kid always had at least $600 in cash on him. And he was always talking about his watch collection. His friends all called him All Talk Turner because he was always gloating about this lavish lifestyle that his parents were funding. He wanted to come across as suave. He'd wear these pinstripe suits and Armani shirts. He'd slick back his hair. He definitely wanted to be seen a certain way. But he was just a kid that still lived at home with his parents. When he was 19, he dropped out of university, and the only time he ever worked was when he'd pick up the odd shift at his father's jewelry store. He told friends that he didn't need to work because his parents would just constantly give him money. So why on earth would he get a job? 
I mean, yeah, fair. (laughs) Yeah. At 17, he got a brand new Mini Cooper. They'd buy him Rolexes. Whatever he wanted, he got. Get out of here. He had a really strange relationship with his parents. His mom, Anita, she was Indonesian and just completely obsessed with Elliot. I'm not even sure saying she doted on him is going far enough. Whatever he wanted, he was given. The dynamic of the household definitely seemed like he was the one in charge. He was completely spoiled and given total freedom. I mean, not to keep making Harry Potter references, but this sounds like Dudley. Dursley. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Draco, but yeah, it does. (laughs) But Draco's parents had expectations of him. You're right. Dudley's parents thought he could do absolutely no wrong. Yeah. We'll just keep, uh, just to clarify, this has nothing to do with this being in England is why I'm making the (laughs) reference. It's just because you started with the the test, so. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm deep in Harry Potter number six, so. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Elliot had a group of friends he hung around with. They were all ex-public school boys like him, and they called themselves The Firm. This group of friends. Oh, my God. I do love a good group group (laughs) chat nickname, but. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not. I would. I would try and be in that. Honestly, if I heard it, I'd be like, "Why am I not in that?" <laughs> I want to be a member of the firm. Yeah, I mean, it truly. just already sounds so stupid. So I reached out to Rachel to ask if that had any sort of meaning in England. The firm, and she said that basically they have quite a clicky class culture over there, and so by calling themselves the firm, they're basically seeing themselves as a bunch of secretive rich kids. Their approach to life was very juvenile. A lot of drinking, drugs, womanizing. It's all seen as an assertion of their masculinity. She said basically that the behavior I'm going to be describing throughout this episode is not unusual, especially around 2010 when this took place. She said things are improving, but, you know, could always be better. Yeah. Anyway, Elliot saw himself as the head of the firm, and they would go out constantly, always VIP, always got the best tables. He'd be out buying bottles of Dom Perignon or Grey Goose. One of Elliot's favorite bars to frequent was called Bella Rosa. His friend Lewis owned the bar, and Elliot would tell people that it was the firm's headquarters. Right, so this is a fraternity, is what I'm hearing, with, with money. Basically. And okay. I don't know why I'm having this instinct to every time I say the firm, to put it in quotations. <laughs> every time I'm doing it. The firm doing air yeah, quotes. Yeah, Kristen's air quotes. She's squeezing a lot of air over here with her <laughs> fingers. But I'm here for it. Oh, thanks. Elliot would make sure to surround himself with girls who he saw more as accessories than actual human beings. He had Gross. criteria for the girls, which he referred to almost exclusively as birds when he wasn't calling them bitches. They had to be tall. They had to be blonde. They had to have nice legs. That was his criteria. He talked about it all the time. He'd hit on them at the bar, buy them drinks, but he'd like do this thing where he'd buy premium shots for himself and the cheap stuff for the girls, and he'd get a single shot and he'd get them the double shot. Oh my God, Elliot, you are a scrub. Yeah, with the goal, obviously, of getting them drunk and taking them home. His parents had a flat in East Cliff, which is like on the beach, if I'm not mistaken. I tried to kind of Google Maps it. And he'd use this flat to, like, bring girls back to after the bars. This guy is, like, a cross between the Tinder swindler, Simon Levive, 
an affluenza Ethan Couch. Like, mm-hmm. he just sucks so bad. <laughs> yeah. I hate him. It's a really... Uh, I hate him, but, like, I kind of want to be in the firm. But, like, not. You know? Like, I just want to know. I'm just nosy. Pretty much they're all awful. <laughs> Elliot's decision-making skills were extremely poor, as evidenced by the fact that he almost exclusively wore, like, really deep V-neck t-shirts. You have nothing to say about a deep V-neck t-shirt? I mean, I guess I'm thinking, like, how deep do you mean? I mean, I mean, nipple deep. They don't have nipple deep Vs? Yeah, deep, a deep V. A deep V, like this. (laughs) I don't need to see (laughs) Is this chest hairy? What's happening? I don't know. I mean... I don't, I guess I don't love it, no. I don't know, it depends. I need to know what you mean by how deep, I need to know how deep the deep V is. It's a deep V, do you not know what a deep, that's it, I'm putting, this, it's been a while, I'm going to post a poll on the Instagram story, (laughs) the deep V. Like, am I going to be upset if Scott Eastwood is wearing a deep V? No, I'm not. Okay, deep like this. Okay, I sent you a pic. Wait, of the that's deep v. not for real. Yes, that's a deep V. Mogab has never seen a deep V. It's like below. It's like lower than nipple. Yeah, that's weird. I don't even think I'd want to see Scott Eastwood in this. I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm not gonna like tell him to cover up, but <laughs> this this is weird. Oh, yes. Well, this okay. Well, this deep V is seven dollars on Shein. So. <laughs> And that's probably where he bought it from, to be honest. Also, his cocaine use was just out of control. Oh, no. His parents ended up putting him in Priory, which is this famous celebrity rehab clinic. Like, Kate Moss and Amy Winehouse have both been patients there. It ran his parents $30,000. And as soon as he got out, he was back to his old ways. His parents had a home in Queens Park, and Elliot lived with them there. Even though they also had that flat in East Cliff that he'd crash out sometimes, he really mm-hmm. lived with them at their house in Queens Park. And according to my British source, Rachel's dad, we got the whole family involved here. With oh, this. I love that. <laughs> he lived near Bournemouth, and he said that Queens Park is a huge golf course and park with swanky houses all around it. She said a four-bedroom house would cost about a million pounds, and it's probably the most middle-class area in Bournemouth. I need to know the exchange rate, the currency right here. I'm going to look. It's like, well, I just kind of think of it as 1.5. I mean, that's not like like one and a half. That's not totally accurate all the time. Sometimes it can get up to two, but I just kind of think of it always as about one and a half. Okay. So according to Rachel's dad, it's for the normal rich people, but not like big time millionaires. One article said his parents' home cost somewhere around 300 to 350,000 pounds, which is about $450,000. Which is just like upper middle class. I would not classify that as rich. But it's also, but then I was thinking about it and I was like, maybe they're living in a, you know, less expensive house so that they can afford to pay for Elliot to just throw money away every night at the bar. They're like house broke. Or no, their child, their son broke. (laughs) Their son son broke. (laughs) Yeah. Some articles even called the house a bungalow. You know, that's like a nice I love how chic, shabby chic that is of them. (laughs) That's just like a nice word for small, you know? Yeah, but then you put like a bungalow in Hawaii and I'm like, yeah, okay. Still small. I'm fine with that. But this isn't in Hawaii. This is in Queen Park, England. Listen, I want my house as small and my V's deep, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You don't. I don't. Yeah, I kind of don't. (laughs) 
I'm going to buy Russell a bunch of deep bees <laughs> for his birthday, and then Listen, I'm going to watch what you say. If this Sheehan <laughs> thing shows up. All right. <laughs> Elliot started showing signs of obsessive behavior toward women in January of 2008, when he was like 16. Police issued him a warning letter for harassing his ex-girlfriend. He'd been bombarding her with calls and texts and emails after she'd broken up with him. Is that a warning letter the same as like a restraining order? Is that like a pre? No, it's not. It's just like a warning, like a cut it out, you dumb kid, or you'll be in trouble, you know? Hmm. His friend Lewis told this story in the documentary about a time Elliot paid him to take him and a girl out on a boat just to show her that he had money and connections. And Lewis said that while they were on the boat, he was, like, really forceful with the girl. Like, he wasn't really giving her a choice. Like, Lewis wasn't really clear if he was saying, yeah, I watched my friend rape this girl on this boat. He just kept saying he'd been really forceful. It kind of seemed like he was dancing around just saying it. Within a couple of weeks of meeting, Elliot and Emily made their relationship official. They were always together, very coupled up, arms around each other. Elliot had been looking for that perfect trophy girl that would impress all his friends, and that's what he saw Emily as. So she's, like, gorgeous, Gorgeous, yes. Young, 16, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty quickly, he started in with the controlling behavior. He'd decide what she wore, who she hung out with. He'd show up to girls' nights and just, like, sulk in a corner until she gave him all of her attention. I know. I can't imagine a dude trying to tell me, like, what to wear. I just, like, don't even know how that, like, happens. I feel like I asked Russell if an outfit looks good, and he's like, uh, like, he knows. <laughs> it's, like, the answer, you know? Like, I just can't imagine. Elliot started trying to manipulate all of the relationships in her life. He didn't like how friendly Emily was and how she clearly wanted to make friends and do things without him sometimes, like a normal person. Yeah. So he would tell her friends that she was using drugs, knowing that they wouldn't approve of that. Just to, like, cause drama between her and her friends? Yes. Ew. He texted every man in her phone pretending to be her. There wasn't details about, like, what he said, but I'm sure it was something like, never talk to me again, you know, something along those lines. He'd get into her Facebook account and read all of her messages. And all of this is within, like, the first two months of them being together. It's like they didn't even have the love-bombing honeymoon phase. It was just, like, yeah. immediately, I'm going to control your every Drama. move. Yes. They met, like, at one of just, like, the clubs. Yeah, they just met when they were out at a bar one night, both of them at the same yeah. place. And that was in December of 2010 is when they met. So in March of 2011, Emily had this opportunity to take part in this photo shoot. She was an aspiring model, and it was a friend of hers, this girl, Emma Ross, that had invited her to take part in this shoot that happened to involve these two bodybuilders. Oh, no. In this photo, Emily is in this really cute little red dress in between the two guys who are, like, shirtless with bow ties on and, like, the cuffs, Mm -hmm. but, like, no shirt. They're just kind of silly. I don't know. There's, like, nothing wrong with them. It's not, they're not like pornographic in any way. They're just kind of silly. Yeah. Or just like cute. And she looks stunning. Well, Elliot saw these pictures and he was enraged. He sent Emma, Emily's friend that had invited her to the shoot. He sent her this text that was just like ranting and raving. 
He told her to stop trying to F up his relationship by making Emily look like a whore. He likes that word a lot. They went back and forth a bit with him telling Emma that she was a bad influence on Emily, calling her names, telling her to stop encouraging Emily to do these photo shoots. And with Emma replying, basically telling him to F off and telling him that Emily had a mind of her own and could make her own decisions. She also called him a possessive dweeb, which I love. <laughs> yes. He said, That's right. <laughs> he said, do you know who I am? I have six violent harassment charges, two restraining orders, deception, GBH. I'm involved in everything. Okay. <laughs> I like how he's rattling that off like his resume. Right. But like it makes him look cool. Yeah. Yeah. And worse, none of it is even true. He had one harassment charge. And it wasn't violent. GBH is a term used in English criminal law to describe the severest form of battery. Greatest bodily harm is what it stands for. Ew. Something he hadn't been involved in. And like, what the hell does he mean by deception? Like, he just lies a lot? It's like, (laughs) Like, okay, that I don't believe anything you're saying. (laughs) Right. Are you deceiving me right now? It's like he's trying to show that he's a lot tougher than he is. Like, this is the person he wants to be. Mm -hmm. He wants to be this person with six violent harassment charges and restraining orders, which is so gross to me. Like, that doesn't make you look cool or intimidating. To me, it just makes you look like a weak little loser. Like, you have restraining charges? Like, restraining? You have restraining orders? Cool. You harass women? Like You're annoying. So you're really annoying? (laughs) (laughs) You don't go away. Yeah, you don't go away. Anyway, he also told Emma he didn't want em- Emily going out with pervy lads or his enemies, which is a very oh, Simon Levive thing enemies. to say. <laughs> My enemies. <laughs> yeah. Great. Because he'd kill them, Elliot said. Emma told Emily about all of these messages from Elliot, and Emily told him to back off her friends. She was really mad at him, and their relationship definitely seemed like it was going to crumble. Elliot is more into Emily than Emily is into Elliot, we think. Or is she just, like, really into him, but also, like, annoyed by his nonsense? Yeah, I think she is a 16-year-old girl. She's 17 now. She turned 17 in February. Her birthday was in February. So this is March. So she is newly 17. Oh, what a good age. I think she's a 17-year-old girl that doesn't have any clue about relationships or how she should be treated. I think she sees problems with Elliot's behavior, but she also thinks she's in love, you know. And she's like an adult, you know, like he's older and like I'm grown, you know. Yes. And she's kind of felt like that since she was like 15, 14, 15, you know. Mm -hmm. So Elliot needed some big grand gesture to keep her around. So he got his mom to pay for him to take Emily on this romantic getaway in the Isle of Man to try and patch things up. Or maybe the I'm Isle sorry. of Wight. There was... They're going on like a vacation. Yeah. Like they are at like 17. Can yes. you imagine? No. Like you're like, I'm going to go stay at this island. Right. My boyfriend's oh, taking me crazy. to the Isle of Man or possibly the Isle of Wight. Different sources said different things. But no. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and at first, the trip went really well. There were these pictures of them looking really cuddly and like they were having this good time. But after a night out, they'd gotten into this huge argument that was heard by other people at the hotel they were staying at. After they checked out, hotel staff discovered that Elliot had punched the door of a wardrobe so hard it left a hole. Oh, my gosh. People that say that men aren't emotional boggle my mind. 
Like that is an emotion. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. They just mean they maybe aren't. Yeah. They don't crying, cry, but-, but they punch walls and yell. And yeah. On the trip to try and save the argument, Elliot told Emily to write him a letter so she could tell him what was upsetting her and how he could change. This letter that she wrote was very telling, and it was more a list than a letter, and this is what it said. Number one, I love you. Number two, don't say you'll kill me. Number Mm. three, stop talking about your ex-girlfriends. Number four, stop being so constantly aggressive. Be more cool because that is so much more hot and you make me scared because you're so intimidating. I hate that you're so aggressive. Mm. The letter showed that even in this early stage, they'd only been together not even four months at this point. And he's already telling her that he's going to kill her. And like the I love you, like mm-hmm. she doesn't love him. She's scared. She mm-hmm. probably started to like him. And right. then she's like, oh, I need to match his energy of like, he's probably, you know, I love you. And well, she's and like, I, I love you too because I'm terrified. I think that when you're 17 and I think maybe even adult women have an issue yeah. of, of seeing controlling behavior as a sign of affection. Protect. Yeah. He loves me so them. much. He's trying to protect me. He wants me close by. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're unaware that those are warning signs of coercive control that can lead to violence. And Emily kept Elliot's abuse to herself. She didn't really tell anyone about it. Over the Easter holidays in April of 2011, Emily went home to New Zealand to visit her family and friends there. She was excited to tell her family all about her courses and her job that she loved and the new friends that she'd made. She also told her family that she had a boyfriend, but when her dad offered to let her use the phone to call him, she said she didn't want to, and that she was thinking about ending things with him when she got back. Her dad, Mark, said she hadn't really said anything about his disturbing behavior, and he really wishes that she had. While she was home, Emily met up with all her friends, and they went out dancing and took tons of pictures and posted them all on Facebook, as you do. Meanwhile, Elliot is back on the other side of the world looking at these pictures of Emily with other men, including ex-boyfriends, and he's just freaking out over them. He's going to do something to her, isn't he? Is that why we're here? Like, at first I kind of thought this story was about Elliot's little, like, firm ring, and now I'm like, wait a second. Oh, no. I really like her. I know. I really like her, too. He didn't know what she was doing. She wasn't talking to him. He called a friend of his and left a voicemail that was just ranting about how disrespectful she was being and how she was being an asshole and he was going to mess her up. And he said basically that he was going to cheat on her as many times as he could to show her. Okay, bye. Yeah, okay, bye. It was clear that Elliot was very used to being the center of everyone's attention, always number one. He'd been treated like that by his mother his whole life. And now, as an adult, he expected all the women in his life to treat him like that. And when it didn't happen for him, he's basically throwing a little hissy fit about it. After three weeks in New Zealand, Emily's mom drove her to the airport, and she said that she noticed that Emily was dressed really casually, and she didn't have her makeup done. And that seemed odd to her. Like, it wasn't like Emily not to put an effort into her appearance. And reflecting in hindsight, like, knowing what came next, it seemed to her mom that she was going back to all that abuse, and she just wasn't looking forward to going back. 
Her mom said that even though Emily had plans to return to New Zealand in five months for the Rugby World Cup, it seemed like she was saying goodbye for good. The night she got back to Bournemouth, she went to Bella Rosa to meet up with Elliot, but he wouldn't even talk to her. And this is all on CCTV footage from the bar. She walks up to him and he just completely dismisses her. (gasps) He turns his back on her completely. And then he did some obvious desperate things to try and get her attention or to just make her jealous. He's buying girls drinks. He's dancing with them. He's being super flirty with them. And the more he drank, the more angry he got. But did he invite her there just to ignore her? Or would would they just like... I don't know. There are a lot of times where they kind of wind up in the same place. And I, it's never really clear if they had plans to meet up there or if he is checking where she is and showing up. Or like Bella Rosa was kind of his spot, like his friend owned Mm -hmm. the bar. And so... It makes me think that either she went there looking for him or they had plans to meet up there and he's just being a dick. But I'm not sure. Both check out, I'm sure. Yeah. Towards the end of the night, Elliot ends up sitting on this couch with Emily and they're just off the CCTV. So there's no footage of this. But witnesses said that as they're sitting there, he reaches over and smashes her face into the table before jumping up, throwing a glass and walking off in a huff. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, people are there. Yeah, and Emily's friends ran over to grab her and take her away, and she looks totally distressed because now she's back on camera as as she's walking out. Her friends are telling her that she needs to get out of this relationship. My God, yeah. But leaving is the absolute most dangerous time for a victim of domestic abuse like this. So Emily, who just turned 17 a couple of months earlier is under the impression that this relationship is over and she's moving on. She changed her Facebook profile picture from one of her and Elliot together to one of her with some other guys. Oh, <laughs> I've, I've done that move. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And let me tell you, it does stink. <laughs> yes. Elliot left a friend a voicemail about it, saying it made him look like a knob. I'd say he looks like a knob all on his own. Every move Emily makes is just making him more and more mad. Emily started going out with other guys. On April 30th, she went out with a group that included Elliot's best friend, Luke Ashford, and they stayed the night at the house of their friend, Oliver George. And Elliot is texting Luke all night. One message said, what's been happening? You're my best pal. Tell me why the F my bird left with you. Did she say anything? I'm trusting you. My bird. Again, all he refers to girls as, women as, is birds and bitches. And that's basically it. All Luke responded was, I'm trying to get to sleep. Ooh. Later, it came out that Emily and Luke slept together that night. And of course, cue all the slut shaming headlines, because how dare she look at another guy that isn't her abuser, who has slept with at least three other women while he and Emily were together. But, you know, it's all her fault. Right. On May 5th, 2011, Emily made plans to go out with another guy, Lewis Powell. Elliot hacked into her Facebook account and saw messages between the two of them that talked about plans to meet up at this nightclub called Clute. He went into a complete rage and got a couple of friends together, including this guy named Tom Crow. 
Elliot shoved a mallet hammer into the waistband of his <gasps> pants, and they jumped in his black Mini Cooper and raced over to Clute. No. Tom Crow said that he waited outside in the car for three hours, and when Elliot came out, he was in tears and said that he'd just done something awful. <gasps> he told Tom that he'd hit her six or seven times with the hammer and had killed her. Tom was in complete shock as Elliot said he was going to hand himself over to the police. An ambulance drove past and Elliot said it must be on its way to get Emily's body because he dumped her in the bushes. Wait, back up. Uh-huh. They're in a crowded bar. Uh-huh. And he went in and he's saying he killed her. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. In front of everyone, does he address that like there were people around? He took he like, took her, her outside. outside to talk. Uh-huh. So he just says that he immediately says he just says that I just I hit her six or seven times and killed her and dumped her body in the bushes. Which friend was in the car? Tom Crow. So okay, not the one. Okay, not the one she slept with. Yeah, no, not the one she slept with, and not the one that she was meeting. Yeah, they then drove over to another friend's house, a nineteen-year-old girl named Jasmine Snook, and Elliot repeated the same story to her. It was like three in the morning. They're standing outside her house on the pavement and. He's near tears, telling her that he has something to tell her. And he didn't know how to say it, but that he'd killed Emily. And Jasmine just started crying hysterically. And Elliot's friend Oliver George showed up, and Elliot told him, She's effing dead. I smashed her seven times over the head with a mallet. I heard her skull crunch. Oh, my God. He told Jasmine and Oliver it happened outside Clute in the parking lot. And he'd thrown her body in some bushes outside. He told them he had his passport and five grand in cash, and he was just going to write a letter to his parents and get out of there. Why is he just, like, spilling all of this? Is he, like, in shock? He was crying, saying, Emily's never going to have a family. She pushed me into it. But then suddenly the tears stopped, and he just burst out laughing, and he just said, I'm effing joking. Um, Jasmine said she just burst into tears. Turns out Emily hadn't even been at Clute. He'd found Lewis, the guy she was supposed to be meeting, and had confronted him, telling him that Emily was his girlfriend and to back off. But that's all that happened. Emily was alive and well. Where is she? That home. Like, sleeping. It's three in the morning. Oh, my God. But she was supposed to meet the guy at Clue. Yeah, so but I guess she show? didn't show up. Yeah. The next day, May 6th, Elliot and Tom met up in this wooded area close to Elliot's house to go for a walk. It seems like this whole idea to kill Emily had gotten stuck in his head. And he told Tom that she'd really pissed him off this time. And he asked, how shall I do it, Tom? How shall I kill Emily? Is that your accent? I want to know how to kill someone. (laughs) Okay, well, you sounded like like the Wicked Witch of the United Kingdom. Over there, Snow White. How shall I do it, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) Professor McGonagall over here. <laughs> How shall I do it, Tom? <laughs> God, he's the worst. Tom said he wouldn't know how to kill someone. He's not a murderer. So then Elliot no. just starts bouncing ideas off him. Should I drown her in a bathtub? Strangle her? Set her on fire in the bedroom with petrol? Yeah, I'm immediately asking for a subject change or I'm leaving. Because I, even if you don't say a word, you're like now part of his like premeditated yes, word vomit. Immediately now. And I think that it's important to also 
I don't want to say understand because I don't have enough details to fully understand this relationship between Elliot and Tom. But I think that Elliot was somebody that Tom really looked up to. I think he was younger than Elliot. He's part of the firm. Elliot's like the leader of the firm. And so I think that he had this kind of respect and admiration of Elliot and also he Is wanted he wanted him to like him like he want like a fear of maybe losing him as a friend i think like well he, and like i'm sure if then you get kicked out of the firm so you right. lose a lot of your friends R- right exactly elliot talked about a drug overdose whether she would choke on her own vomit if she got too drunk he seemed to settle on strangling and he asked tom if he could practice a headlock on him oh my god the yeah. answer is no Tom, again, is a member of Elliot's group, The Firm, and the group that, you know, this is the group that called Elliot All Talk Turner. And so Tom thought that this this was all that was, just talk. All talk, all talk Turner. But I do think there was also a voice in the back of his mind telling him that there was something more going on here. But the voice just wasn't loud enough. Tom showed Elliot a stranglehold he'd seen on the WWE, and he let Elliot practice the move on him. But Elliot started putting a lot of pressure on him to the point that Tom started to panic. He held his breath and he had to tap him on the arm to get him to let him go. By that night, somehow Elliot was under the impression that he and Emily were good again, that she was still his girlfriend. But they were not on the same page. Emily wanted to be done with this relationship completely. Elliot and some friends, including Luke Ashford, went to a bar called Cafe Shore. On the way to the bar, friends of Elliot say that he was ranting and raving about Emily the entire time. And at one point, he even lost control of his car. Like, that's the headspace that he's in. He told Luke, that bitch is going down tonight. I don't understand how someone gets so fixated on one person. Like, if she makes you so mad... Like, y'all could willingly end the relationship and both move on. I mean, I get that I'm coming from a place of logic and he is not. But, like, they get so fixated on one person that they can't, like, let that person go and move on. And then just, like, not be obsessed with whatever they're doing. Yeah. I don't I, understand that. I t- <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. I'm like, he, she's obviously upsetting you more than, like, whatever she's doing is bothering you. So just... Or let them leave. Or let her, yeah. her leave, you know? Yeah, like she obviously doesn't want to be with you. So leave her, you know. And why do you want to be with her if you, she's making you so mad? Yeah, if everything she does, like, pisses you off. Yeah. Emily was also at Cafe Shore. She was out with some friends of hers. And I'm not sure if they planned to meet up there or if he'd followed her or what. But Emily was dressed in these little short shorts and this leopard print bra with a small waistcoat on top of it, which sounds super cute. Cute, cute. And Elliot was furious over the way that she was dressed. They got into this big fight and he told her that she was dressed like a whore. Then close your eyes, Elliot. Close your eyes and go Get away. Out of the go bar. to Bella Rosa. Yeah. Go to Bella Rosa, bitch. Bitch. <laughs> Emily was fed up with him. She ended up throwing her drink at him and shouted, I hate you. I never want to see you. And she called him a freak before walking out of the bar. All right. So then their relationship should be over and the story should end Uh, right here. Yeah. Instead, Elliot started screaming and punching the sides of the booth they were all sitting in, he and his friends, and said, I will kill her. I will go to prison for it and still be a millionaire. 
I would do 10 years. It wouldn't bother me at all. Well. And then apparently all this talk about him killing her with the hammer got back to Mm -hmm. her. And so she texted him saying, hit me with a mallet. Do whatever you want to me. I will never get back with you. I actually hate you. Elliot then sent his mother a text saying, I could effing break Emily's neck and beat the F out of her. The only reason I didn't flip was because my best pal was with me. This is what he said that to his mom. To his mom. Yeah. What did she say? About well, obviously, you know? she said, oh, my God, son, you clearly need help. Let's get you into some sort of mental health program. She did not say that. No, she didn't. She said, don't do anything inappropriate, Elliot. You are so young and you have so much life ahead of you. I'm going to bed now. Kiss, kiss. Okay, Queen Elizabeth, listen. (laughs) You don't think any British people are going to come for your neck for that? They should. (laughs) Uh, So she was like not concerned. Not concerned. Yes. It did not concern her at all. She's just like. Don't do anything inappropriate. You're so young. <laughs> you have so much life ahead of you. What the hell? <laughs> I don't feel like... To me, that says you could do something really bad. You're so young. You have so much life ahead of you. That's like... Yeah. Don't kill her, Elliot. Because you're so young yeah, like, and have so much life ahead of you. You're like validating that there's concern yes but you're also like i'm going to bed don't do anything inappropriate kiss kiss that night emily was at a friend's house and elliot turned up there and you know kind of just a disclaimer with all of these events it was pretty difficult to piece together how people got where and like who was there first and was it it, so you know i had to make assumptions with some things but she was at a friend's house elliot shows up They argued at first, and then things started to calm down. They both seemed to, like, calm down between the two of them. Someone suggested that Emily get in the car with Elliot so that they can sort this whole thing out once and for all, talk it out, you know, get on better terms. Nope. Nope. I agree. She was under the impression that he was going to drop her off at home, but instead he drove straight to his house. And for some reason, Tom Crow is with them. This part was really confusing how they all three ended up at Elliot's house. But they did in the very early hours of May 7th, 2011. The three of them are pulling up to Elliot's house. Emily and Elliot got into this argument again. They're standing outside the house while Tom is waiting by the car. Elliot walked over to where Tom was standing and told him, I want you to kill her and pushed (sighs) the hammer into his chest. What? Tom told him to F off. Elliot walked back to the front door where Emily was standing, and Tom watched them argue. He said he saw Emily go into the house and try to lock Elliot out of his own house. But eventually, Elliot was able to get into the house, probably because he had a key. It's his house. And a few minutes later, Tom saw the lights go off. Oh, no. Tom is outside still. Tom is outside still, yes. Tom, get in the house, dude. A neighbor of Elliot's, 18-year-old Harry Hawkins, was nearby at the time, and he heard the argument. Tom told Harry that he thought Elliot was going to kill Emily. (gasps) He said he got a taxi to take him home. Tom did. And he said he just felt really confused. He said he was just relieved to get away from the whole mess. He said he felt scared for Emily, but he didn't know what to do. Call the police. 
Call the police. What do you mean you don't know what to do? Like, you legitimately think your friend is going to kill this girl. He literally said, he he said, I thought he was going to kill her. But I don't know what to do. Like, call the police. Even if you're wrong, still call the police. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm about to call the police for everything. (laughs) I am. (laughs) I'm about to be calling the police. For everything. Look, you should. <laughs> like the time. <laughs> Sorry. When Kia called 911 because her kid threw up because Kia doesn't deal with vomit. I told you the story. <laughs> Kia from the Waffle House. Uh-huh. Like, she swears. She was like, she's probably like 10 years older than me when I was working there. Uh-huh. So at the time, she was probably like 35 and she claimed that she had never thrown up in her life. What? She can't handle it. The thought of it. And so she said her daughter got sick, and Kia ran out of the house, grabbed the cordless phone, and called 911. <laughs> she was not dealing with it. What did they do? I think they probably did not come. <laughs> they were like, So she Ma'am. had to deal with it? <laughs> I, don't uh, I don't know. I think, no, I think then she got a neighbor or something. <laughs> okay. Oh, Kia. Kia, I miss you. <laughs> I'm going to text her right now. Kia, remember that time? At 9.16 a.m. on May 7th, this is that next morning, Elliot's mother, Anita, called his father, Lee, at work and said, come home. Emily is dead. What? Just like that? Yeah. A text? She said it in a text? I don't know if it was a text or a over phone this. call. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't until 40 minutes later after Lee got home that she called 999, which is their 911. You can listen to the call. It's weird. Anita introduces herself as Mrs. Turner and tells the operator that her son's friend was staying with them and she just went to wake both of them up, but the girl wasn't waking up. The operator asks if it looks like there's anything around her neck and Anita says, Oh, ooh, she's got a necklace very tight around her neck. Uh, okay. I sleep with a necklace on every night. Well, this one was very tight. Oh, my God, it was tight around her. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> the operator's like, we'll get the necklace off of her neck, and she sent an ambulance. The ambulance arrived, and they found Emily's body laid out on the bed, and it was clear that she had been dead for a while. Anita was very upset. Lee was pacing up and down and seemed agitated. But Elliot was very calm. When paramedics asked what had happened, Elliot told them that Emily had attacked him that she'd been punching and kicking him, so he'd grabbed her neck for five or six seconds to, quote, stop her from going nuts. He said she'd been fine afterwards, but must have died in her sleep. Oh, my God. How is the mom not panicked? Like, he just texted you that he could kill her, and then she wakes up, or she doesn't wake up at Mm -hmm. your place. Yeah. And you're not, like, freaking the F out? Well, it said that she was very upset. Yeah, but... I don't think about Emily. You know, well, I just, you know, your, your uh, imitation was very calm. Oh, a necklace. Well, that is how she sounds on. She's like, oh, ooh, a necklace. <laughs> she's got a necklace. I mean, that is how she sounds on the call. Yeah. 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 Mm. It's weird. It's very weird. Elliot was arrested there at the scene. And police found his passport in his pocket and his bags packed. 
Mm, Which is weird to me. It's weird to me only because he was still there when they got there. Like if his if he's got his passport in his pocket and his bags are packed, why is Anita calling the police before he can leave? Like I wonder. He was trying to leave. Well, I mean, he's like hanging around. I mean, he knew they were coming. And 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 you know, there was forty minutes in between when she's telling Lee, "Hey, come home. Emily's dead." to when she actually calls the police. And her parents don't know anything. No. It was 2 a.m. in New Zealand when Mark Longley, Emily's father, woke up to see tons of missed calls from his youngest daughter, Hannah, and his ex-wife, Caroline. There was a voicemail from Hannah as well, but he couldn't understand what she was saying. But then he heard Caroline in the background screaming, Emily's dead. Mark was sure he'd misheard, so he called his mother, who Emily had been living with, who was just crying hysterically when she answered the phone. A policeman had to come on the line to tell Mark the news. He said, I'm sorry to tell you that your daughter Emily is dead. Mark refused to believe it. She'd just been sitting on his couch in New Zealand a week ago, talking about how everything was going great in her life. She, her classes were going well. She was doing well in them. She had this great job that she loved. She had these friends. She had plans for her future. There was no way that she's now dead. Mark, Caroline, and Hannah all flew from New Zealand and were taken to see Emily's body. Mark said she just looked like she was asleep, and he just kept hoping that she was going to sit up laughing, telling him it was just all some elaborate prank. But it was all real. I know. He said he felt so helpless. He just wanted to bring her back. It's just like crazy to me that like this punk kid just changed this whole trajectory of all these these people's people's lives. lives. Yeah. 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 For what? Because. For what? You know. Because she wouldn't do what he said all the time. Right. (sighs) And, And it just happens all of the time. It happens all of the time. And it happens all Men, the time. why are you the way that you are? Yeah, men. And none of them were buying Elliot's story. That I'm, And I actually have an organization about that later on, which I'm really excited to share with you, actually. Okay. Oh, we haven't done that in a long while. I know. We have one this week. None of the Longleys were buying Elliot's story that Emily had just died in her sleep. And police were not buying it either. They had spoken to so many witnesses. Too many witnesses who all had stories to tell of the threats that Elliot had made to and about Emily over the past four months. But Elliot was refusing to speak to police. And worse yet, Emily's postmortem came back as inconclusive. (gasps) What? There were no marks on her body, no bruises, abrasions, nothing to tell them what happened to her. Police weren't able to get the evidence they needed to hold Elliot. And they were forced. Well, what about a toxicology report? Nothing in the toxicology report. What? Like nothing. Nothing. Well, he paid someone. He paid someone. They paid someone. To do what? I don't know. Switch out. (laughs) Switch. Report. I don't know. Switch out the report. Yeah. Well, crazier things have happened. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. They were forced to release him on bail, and he probably thought he'd gotten away with it. He immediately went straight back to his partying lifestyle. As soon as he got back, Ew, uh, yeah, as soon as he got out of jail, Anita, his mom, even gave him a credit card 
with thousands of dollars on it. And Elliot went like wild. Ethan. Ethan Couch. <sighs> yeah. If anybody could have used an care, affluenza like, defense, it's this guy. I don't care if I literally did nothing wrong. Like if I had got handcuffed by mistake and I get out, my mom's not throwing me a welcome home party. Like, oh, no, my mom made it very clear that if I ever call her from jail, I will be sitting there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, first of all, let's be honest. Kathy's not your first call, right? I mean. <laughs> Bye, <No>. Bren. <laughs> Hi, Dad. <laughs> Mogab, it you? Mogab, it's you. Figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Now I feel much more equipped. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Police were confident in their theory that Elliot had murdered Emily. He obviously yeah, me too. had. I am also confident yeah, in that. He had the motive. He had the means. He had the opportunity. He'd been telling everybody he was going to do it for months. But police were having a tough time getting any actual proof, especially without a known cause of death for Emily. They ended up getting permission to bug the Turner's home. And <gasps> what they heard on these covert recordings changed everything. Wait a second. <gasps> okay. Okay. Never mind. Wait. Mm. Was it his mom? Okay. No. But not only was Elliot definitely guilty of murdering Emily, but his parents knew exactly what had happened. <gasps> and they had helped him cover the whole thing up. Oh, my God. God. There is a recording of a conversation between Lee and Anita, and this is what they said. Should I do the voices? I mean, sure. Okay. Lee. I knew I shouldn't have destroyed that letter. What we did there was destroy <laughs> vital evidence. <laughs> no, you can't take me seriously. I, why do you sound like a super, like, um... Like a superhero villain. Look, like I don't a, I feel like have a, an exhaustive list of male comment. voices, okay? <laughs> well, I'm sorry that we can't do every story about some hillbillies. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I got hillbillies and I've got Vin Diesel and that's it. <laughs> this is British Vin Diesel. I need some work. <laughs> All right, Lee. I knew I shouldn't have destroyed that letter. What we did there was destroy vital evidence. Anita. It's not, Lee. Lee, we've perverted the course of justice. That was a confession. Ooh, is perverted the right word there? Yeah, it's actually the charge, perverting the cause of uh, the course of justice. It's a okay, charge. Well, I hate in, that. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> That's what he said. Turns out, Elliot had written a letter to his parents where he'd confessed everything. And Lee had taken it and doused it with bleach. They also found out that Anita had removed a jacket from the crime scene. I think the letter was tucked into the jacket and she had taken it. But the crime scene was like the, their bedroom. They Elliot's just, bedroom. Yes. They were both sleeping in the same room, right? Elliot and Emily. Yes. So he wakes up or he didn't even probably sleep. They probably He probably wasn't sleeping. He probably killed her and then what? Ran to mommy right away. I would think so. And then they they spend the wee hours of the morning like doing all this. Okay. Uh-huh. The exchange continued. Anita. Yes, because he's our son. We've done the right thing. Lee. Stop denying it. Anita. No, I am denying it because he didn't. Lee. What did it say then? 
Anita. It just said self-defense. He doesn't know what it is. Lee, he strangled her. So the dad is pissed. I think the dad is come to terms with what happened and he's facing reality. And Anita is just trying to sit here in her little, my son is the best thing in the whole entire world bubble and refusing to see that his her son just murdered somebody in her own home, in his bedroom. Yeah. And I get the desire for a parent to want to protect their kid from their own mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it's like in, it's like in our being. Yes, you know, it's, like it's the parents that bail their kids out, you know, time and time again or, or whatever. <laughs> not the ones that make them sit there. Yeah, not mine. <laughs> yep, same. But this is a line that you do not cross. Yeah. You know, you do not help your kid get away with murder in cold blood. Right. I mean, not. Yeah. And there's a lot of parents that obviously don't. Yes. I think love is I love my child despite what they did, but they need to face the consequences for their actions. Right. You know? Like, I might visit you in prison, but maybe. I almost think this was inevitable, that Elliot was going to do this to someone eventually because he'd been raised to think that he was the center of the entire universe. Well, and they had shown, there's evidence of him showing signs of aggression. So I don't think that was. But I wonder if that was like innate in him. It's like nature versus nurture. You know, did he just have Mm -hmm. that in him or was that created because of the way that he was raised? Uh, I would take a guess to say that even though his parents were giving him all this money and all these things, I don't know that they truly were showing him affection and love. Sounds like he had a lot I think of, like, his probably needs. mom was. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, he's coming to her with this big problem that he has on this text. Like, I literally want to kill somebody. And she, like, dismisses it. And she's just like, okay, I'm going to bed. Good night. Kiss, kiss. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, I mean, I'm not making excuses for him. But, like, how much no. of that goes into then you not having any type of, like. Moral know, compass. <laughs> understanding control over your emotions or anything. Yeah. So police have all of this on recording. Like, they have this confession from the parents. He strangled her. Now they needed one from Elliot. And it wasn't long before they had Elliot on recording saying this to Anita. I know. Between you and me, I just flipped. I went absolutely nuts. I've never gotten to that point of uncontrollability. I just grabbed her. And pulled her as hard as I could. Police thought that what he was describing was asphyxiation, but they needed evidence to corroborate this confession. They had his shirt from that night, and it was a long sleeve shirt, a white long sleeve shirt. The only place on the shirt with makeup was in in the crook of the arm by the elbow, which made sense if he'd had her in a chokehold, like how he'd practiced with Tom Crow. On July 19th, 2011... Over two months after Emily's death, Elliot was arrested and charged with Emily's murder. He and his parents were also charged with perverting the course of justice for helping Elliot cover it up and destroying evidence of the murder and of Elliot's confession. Great. Elliot was held in custody and his parents were released on bail. 
But then it got worse with his parents. Once she'd been released on bail, Anita started actively campaigning for her son's innocence. Oh, gross. She threw a series of support Elliot parties. She started harassing his friends to contact him, write to him, go see him in prison. Were they like, no? Yeah, they were like, no, thank you. Even though she knew that he killed Emily. Basically trying to say, look at Elliot. Look at what an upstanding member of society he is. He could never kill anyone in his super deep VTs. I know. I'm looking for a deep. I was looking up what he looks like. Oh, yeah. Look him up. God, she really is stunning. I know. Not that that matters, but. No, it's just an observation. (laughs) Elliot was also writing letters from prison to his friends. He signed the letters Big T. And he told them that his dad was going to throw him a 9,000-pound party and buy him a Porsche if he got out of this. Ew. He also said he'd gotten a big film deal, which is not true. Over this? Yeah, which it, it's a – he's making all of this stuff up. The trial of Elliot Turner and his parents began on April 19th, 2012. And in all that time, the prosecution had managed to build an extremely compelling case against him. They had 242 witnesses that had come (gasps) forward. Oh, my God. How long was this? (laughs) I'm not sure. Hang on. It's about a month. Still, though. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, almost exactly a month. Okay, so they have 242 witnesses. They had forensic evidence linked to the murder, and they had those tapes that showed Elliot and his parents confessing to their crimes. The case could not have been any stronger. Elliot was questioned on the stand for two days. He told that story about grabbing Emily by the neck for five or six seconds and then pressed down on her as she lay on the bed to stop the attack. He said he then stormed out of the bedroom and he came back in a little while later, got in bed and woke up to find her dead. Like, he just like, yeah, okay, no. (laughs) He said that he had loved her, and she had loved him, and that he'd only ever wanted the best for her. He said he had not murdered her. He was very confident on the stand. People that watched him testify even said he seemed arrogant, like he genuinely thought he could convince the jury that he hadn't murdered Emily. That she'd just died in his bed and he had no idea how. How? Yeah. Yeah. Like, even though I put my hands around her neck and then she laid down. Right. His answers were short, curt, and rude. And it seemed like he enjoyed the limelight. Like, he just really enjoyed his day in court. Under cross-examination, he didn't seem all that upset about what happened to Emily. When they asked why he didn't seem to show any remorse for the murder, he said... Well, it happened a year ago. What? Yeah. He did not. Yeah, he did. And there was this sharp intake of breath from the jury. They were just all like, (gasps) when he said that. They played the tapes for the jury, the exchanges I told you about, and so much more. There were tapes of Elliot calling Emily an effing bitch. And remember, this is in the two months right after he murdered her that he's saying all of this stuff. He's calling her a bitch. Tapes of him talking about the anger that had built up in him over her. Mm -hmm. There was also an exchange between Anita and Elliot that was played where Elliot said, that girl, by me meeting her, 
that girl has ruined my life. (gasps) And Anita replied, she did. She did ruin your life. She ruined his life. He ended her life. There is no doubt in my mind that if she said, she probably did say to him, leave me alone. And if he would have left her alone, both of their lives would be fine. They would have gone their separate ways. Yeah. No, she ruined his life because she drove him to kill her. And his mom is like, yep, she sure did. She ruined it. Gross. Anita was asked on the stand if Emily Longley had ruined her son's life. And she said, yes. (sighs) The lack of responsibility is just absolutely amazing to me. She truly. I mean, would she have looked worse if she would have disagreed with herself? I mean, I think, yeah, I think you could say, yeah, looking back, I don't believe that. I think I was just in a place where I was yeah. upset that he had done this. And, you know, now I see right. obviously that it was a choice that he made. She truly didn't believe her son could do any wrong. And that mentality is what led to this whole thing in the first place. At trial, they also discussed how Anita had changed her story about the delay in calling the ambulance, how she'd called Lee, and then it had been almost an hour before she'd called paramedics. And in all that time, there were lots and lots of calls coming in and out between the family. The prosecution put up evidence from the Turner's computers. They found searches for death by strangulation and... How to get out of being charged for murder. Well, that's a slam dunk. That's what we call a slam dunk. That's what we in the biz call a slam dunk. I don't understand how people are still Googling things and thinking it's not going to come up, you know? For real. Yeah. Yes. The one thing that the prosecution had to overcome was the fact that there didn't seem to be any clear signs that Emily had been strangled. There were no significant marks around her neck, no bruising like you'd expect to find. But there were some small abnormalities around the lips and eyes, which a medical examiner testified were petechial hemorrhages. Those are pinpoint bruises that represent pressure put on the neck. Basically, it shows that blood is flowing to the head and then it's unable to flow out, and it results so in those like ruptures, yes, around yeah. the eyes and lips. So the physical findings were consistent with pressure having been applied to Emily's neck, either by his hands or by forearm pressure, like in a chokehold or a sleeper hold. Right. And then Elliot had pushed her head down into a pillow, and Ew. there was a complete print of her face in makeup, face down on the pillow on his bed. You could see her whole face, her eye makeup, her foundation. It was like a face in the pillow. Elliot also had scratches on his arms and his DNA was under Emily's fingernails. On May 21st, 2012, Elliot Turner was found guilty of Emily's murder. Yes. Yes. There was no way he was not going to be. Not I after know, saying, but you know what? Well, Sometimes you really ago. throw me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Robert I Durst got away with uh, Morris Black, so, you know. I mean, I get every goes. time now I get a little bit nervous that it's, <laughs> you're going to like, I don't know. This one would have been a true travesty. He and his parents were also convicted of perverting the course of justice. What does that mean for his parents? 
that they'll be sentenced and have a punishment. Somebody's going to have a consequence. <laughs> consequence. A consequence for their actions. Elliot was sentenced the next day, and at the sentencing, the judge seemed to sum up the whole thing perfectly. So I'm just going to read exactly what she said. Please do. Loving someone is not seeking to control that person's life. It's not telling someone they are a whore and not slagging them off to friends, which I think means like talking bad about them, but mm-hmm. British people, let me know. You did not love her. She was just a trophy. The relationship, if that's what it can be called, was all about you. It was about control, which you carried out using aggression and threats. You could not be seen to be dumped by her or be seen to look like an idiot in front of your friends. Your anger grew. Your resentment built up and festered. Your arrogance during your relationship with Emily Longley, during your time on remand, and even throughout this trial has been breathtaking. In my judgment, it's apparent you had been thinking of killing Emily and it was only a matter of time before it happened because it's clear she wanted to be free from you and you would not let that happen. If you could not have her, no one else would. She said, You can put away thoughts of champagne, Bentleys, and girls and concentrate on why you're serving a life sentence. Your lack of remorse is chilling and your arrogance is is breathtaking. Your sentence is life with a minimum served of 16 years, which I do not think is enough time, but yeah, same. For perverting the course of justice, Anita and Lee both got 27 months. So, I don't mm. think they served all of that. Emily's family felt like they'd gotten justice for her. Mark Longley said he feels Elliot Turner is ultimately to blame for what happened to his daughter. But he also blames Anita and Lee for raising a murderer. Well, yeah, they definitely I'm out on all three. Yes. <laughs> yes. But at the end of the day, Elliot made a choice to murder her and his parents made a choice to help cover it up. Mm-hmm. You know, Elliot appealed, saying the recorded tapes had been ad- obtained illegally. His appeal was thrown out after like five minutes, literally. He will be eligible for parole in 2027, which, again, just does not seem long enough. I don't know enough about the UK justice system or sentencing guidelines over there to know if 16 years is normal for a murder like this. But it just seems like there is so much evidence that he'll do it again, that the second he gets out, he'll be back to it. He even already said, like, I'll do 10 years for this, and that's fine. I'll be a millionaire when I get out. So it's fine. Ew. Like, he, like, basically, yeah said that, like, I'm going to get the easy way out. Yeah, like, I don't care and if I like, do some prison time. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't get parole. He seems like he's really bad at showing remorse. I don't know if he's gotten a better act over it in the last 10 years, but he's up for it parole in five. Over a year so, ago. I cannot yeah. get over that. I know. He's up for parole in five years. Oh, my God. His old ways certainly haven't stopped while he's in prison. He's claiming to receive letters from women, which considering how many women wrote to Chris Watts after he murdered his wife and two young daughters, I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. And he has pictures of Emily up in his cell, which really grossed me out. How is that allowed? Well, apparently How is that allowed? other inmates, they saw these pictures that pissed them off. They also got really sick of him constantly bragging about all the letters from women that he got and how rich he is. 
that they set his cell on fire and beat him up. Okay. How uh, <laughs> how are we doing that? <laughs> a prison spokesperson said there was no cell fire, but I'm going to choose not to believe that. I'm going to choose that they yeah. set his cell on fire and beat him up. What warden is over there passing <laughs> matches? Right. They're like, light it up. Light it up. Mark Longley has spoken out a lot about Emily's murder, and he even has a podcast about grief, hoping to help others with their grief. He's also an ambassador for the White Ribbon, which is the organization that I mentioned earlier. It is a charity that aims to end male violence against women. And it's been a long time since we've highlighted an organization on this podcast because they can be really difficult to vet when you don't know what you're doing, like me. But this one seems really, really great. From their website, they say that through education, awareness raising, outreach, technical assistance, capacity building, and partnerships, White Ribbon's programming challenges negative, outdated concepts of manhood and inspires men to understand and embrace the incredible potential they have to be a part of positive change. White Ribbon is a thought leader in gender-based violence prevention. Through research reports and work with partners, we inspire changes in policy, practice, and culture to address the root causes of gender-based violence. It sounds like a really great organization to support if that's something you're interested in, and we will have all the information in the show notes about that. Elliot showed all of the warning signs of an abuser. His jealousy, the emotional abuse, like calling her a whore when he didn't like what she was wearing. The physical abuse, slamming her head into that table, his attempt at control when he would hack into her Facebook page to see who she was talking to and what she was doing, constantly showing up at the places she was at. He used his size and his anger to intimidate her. He would constantly apologize every time he did something and seem really sorry and contrite until he did it again. He tried to isolate her from her friends. He constantly blamed her for him losing his own temper. He even blamed her for her own murder, ruining his life. Yeah. And then, of course, the threats, the constant threats to kill her. Mark Longley said the signs with Elliot were so obvious. He was very open with the fact that he was going to kill Emily. He discussed it with his friends. Mark said, I still can't fathom to this day why those friends went along with that. The really powerful group, I think, is your peers. This is Mark talking. Mm -hmm. He said, I know it's hard for people to step in. It's hard to confront a mate. But if you see those signs, step in. Yeah. He said he doesn't think about the Turners at all, ever. He said he knows Elliot's in prison and he hopes he suffers every day. But the only person he thinks about in this is Emily. Mark says, closure is a load of rubbish. And every night he says goodnight to a picture of Emily by his bed. He said, you never move on. He said, I miss Emily every day. I think about her every day. But I have some good news. Mark has since remarried and he has a son named Hunter with his new wife. And he's also still very close with his other daughter, Hannah. And Aww. Caroline also has a new partner, and they both wish Emily was there with them to enjoy these good things in their lives. Oh, Emily. I know. And if you recognized any of those signs of abuse in your relationship or maybe a friend's relationship, there are so many resources to get help. I'll link some for the U.S. and the U.K. and New Zealand. 
But wherever you are, if you need help, please seek it out. There is help out there for you. And remember, it's not your fault. I'm about to be the most annoying friend. Like, (laughs) y'all, we've got to start saying something for our friends. I'm about to be all up in everyone's business. Like, all the time. But it's just, we have to. Like, we owe it to the people that we love and care about to get all up in their grill when we think something's wrong. Yeah. Like, we just have to. I don't care. I'm about to be real annoying. I think some women can be really good at hiding abuse. Yeah. But there are signs. You can still see signs. Watch mm-hmm. for them. You know, are they isolating? Are they pulling away? Has it maybe been a while? <laughs> Check in on <sighs> them. Yeah. Oh. And that is the story of the murder of Emily Longley. This cute Emily little girl. Longley. Yeah, 17. God. Yeah. Gah. That's very sad. All right, do we have any shout outs? Shout out time. You go first. Okay. Major shouts to our favorite patrons, starting with Raina in Vermont. I was just talking about Vermont, actually. I love how she said Raina. Ray, nah, Ray, question mark, nah. Nah, Ray? Nah. Nah. Ray, nah. <laughs> I do appreciate you spelled it Raina, like a queen's reign. Rain. I'm really uh, feeling that vibe. Uh, <laughs> rain, ah. Uh, I make it Raina. I make it Rain. Major shouts to Amanda Gorshing. <laughs> I've had people hate now that we have this phonetic column. Amanda Gorshing. Thank you so much. Major shouts, Amanda. Tara, like Sarah. No, Tara, it's not like Sarah. It's like Tara. You be you, girl. <laughs> you be you, you Tara. Be you. She means Tara, like not like Tara. Who says Tara? Tara's a name. Or wait, there's no H on this. Is it Tara like Sarah? No, the, Sarah is not a name. Oh, Zara so, is a name. No, there's there's a Sarah that's listening and she's going to come directly for you. <laughs> Come directly what? for your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Who named you Sarah? Oh, this snap. <laughs> Just Shots kidding. I fired. love Sarah. But that, yeah, yeah, we could tell. <laughs> but that must be confusing for everybody you meet. <laughs> How does Sarah spell so her name? True Just teacher. like Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up. Thank you so much, Carmen Marie. That's my middle name, too. Kristen Marie and Carmen Marie. Are you going to replace me with Carmen Marie? No, I could never replace you. But hey, Carmen, you could be my backup in case Mogab quits. (laughs) (laughs) She keeps threatening it. I need to take the power back somehow. (laughs) I mean, honestly, Carmen, send me your resume for real, girl. No cover letter needed, okay? No, Mogab's not allowed to quit. And last, but certainly not least, Christy. Christy. With an I. Two eyes. Christy Christy girl. Two eyes. So pretty you guys, we are loving doing the shout out. So make sure you sign up. The form is on the Patreon. If you haven't gotten your shout out already, if you already have, don't sign up for a second one. Yes. If you want a shout out, you got to join the Patreon at any level. You get your shout out and then you got to go on the Patreon and you got to fill out the form, which is literally three questions. You. It's just three questions. It's your name, the name you want us to use and how to pronounce said name. That's it. That's all you got to write down. Just so we know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We truly appreciate you. If you liked this episode, we would love it if you could scoot on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. I have something to say about one of the reviews. Oh, okay. I, I want to give a special shout-out. Right. I meant to do this okay. earlier. Uh-huh. But there was a review this week that I read that touched my little heart and soul. And it made me cry. And I just have to give a shout out to Deb the mom. We Deb love you. Mom. We love you. Your Deb. message was so sweet. So sorry for your grieving mama heart, but you made our hearts happy. And we hope that we can bring you a little bit of joy. But these ratings and reviews, you guys are so sweet. Like some of the stuff you've been sharing with us is just really awesome. And we're so glad we get to be a part of your journeys, whatever those may be absolutely could not have said it better myself yeah we really do we yes what even we when read people all tell of them. me like oh i have a road trip coming up and you know i'm gonna listen to you i'm like that's awesome like i get to keep you company on this road trip like Great. really cool we love it so send us those messages you can find us on instagram at creepers pod our gmail is uh creepers at gmail.com and facebook join our facebook discussion group we're in there all the time we would love for you to come in and say hi or, you know, talk about true crime, talk about the Waffle House, talk about whatever. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> so sorry. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll know exactly when our next episode drops, when I will tell Mogab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.